it's also a learning journey for me. Start from small things to more and more bigger and bigger things to me. And eventually I found what motivates me is to actually land those disruptive and AI-based solutions in real world and to see how they can make a difference to the business or even to the life, to the people. That's why I also co-founded a few startups during my spare time to do the AI-based solutions to change the existing behavior or provide more values to the people. I wanted to say a big thank you to our sponsor, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading data specialist recruitment business. They are experts in recruitment strategy and delivery for analytics and data teams. They are the go-to recruitment business for all your data roles in Australia, and they can help both with permanent hires and short-term project-focused data resources. I've used Talent Insights in the past, and I've always found them fantastic to work with. Visit them at talentinsights.com.au. Welcome everyone to another episode of Data Futurology. In Data Futurology, we seek to bring you the discussions about the challenges that leaders in the AI, analytics, and data science space face. We give you different perspectives from leaders from around the world. We hope that this helps you in advance the usage of this technology in your organization and also in your career as a career development discussion. So thank you so much for being here. My name is Felipe Flores. Today, we're going to be speaking about MLOps, about building an MLOps ecosystem. This has been a, a growing trend, both internationally and in Australia. We found a lot of interest and growing interest in our local industry. And I got to say, like from my perspective, I'm really proud of all the, the work that we've done as an in industry over the last couple of years, over the last few years, to increase our maturity to the point that now we're you know, asking about MLOps and driving that perspective, productionizing models, getting value from AI. As an industry, we're, we're hungry to improve that, and it's it's uh, amazing to see. So today, we're going to have a really good discussion about that. Before we jump in, I should thank our sponsor. So our sponsor is Talent Insights. They are our recruitment partner. They've been supporting Data Futurology for a long, long time. I use them when I need to recruit. I think that they're an excellent team. They're specialists in the data analytics, data science, and ML space. So if you're looking for a career move or you're looking to recruit and grow your team, give them, give them a call. Awesome. So thanks everyone for joining, who's joining here live today. Thanks everyone who is watching the replay. Um, I think this is going to be a really, really popular episode because I just know the caliber of professional that Ivan is. I met Ivan what it feels like 10 years ago, but it's probably like five or six years ago. And um, I think he's awesome. So uh, we'll get started today. Our very special guest is Ivan Liu. He is the Director of Engineering at Rockt, and I'm super excited to have a chat with you. Ivan, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you, Felipe, for the intro. Uh, I'm excited to be here, and thanks for having me here today. Wow, amazing. Thank you so much, mate. So, um, so can you start by introducing the, the company that you're working on at the moment and what your role is there? And then we can jump into the, uh, the MLOps side of, the, of, of your remit. Yeah, of course. So I'm currently working for a company, MarTech company called Rock. So it's a world leading MarTech company providing a marketplace to offer uh, recommendations and uh, mar uh, marketing technologies to the uh, to the e-commerce website. So if you think it's a uh, technology that links both the supply side and the demand side. On the supply side, 
we have the, uh, all the leading e-commerce website in the world. And uh, uh, people can shop and start their shopping journey on those websites. And uh, they can add the, uh, uh, doing a normal shopping journey, like adding the uh, items to the shopping cart, check out. Then on the other side, uh, whenever they, there's a shopping transaction moment happened at the e-commerce website, Rock will be matching the most relevant ads to those customers. For example, if I'm buying a, a, a concert tickets in New York, and if I'm not uh, based in New York, then a hotel uh, discount may be showing to me. And if I'm based in New York, then a parking spot may be showing to me. So it will be totally uh, based on your uh, customer's uh, behavior and uh, uh, card items to provide the most relevant experience to the customers on the e-commerce website. And this can enhance significantly enhance the shopping experience and also the happiness of the customers on e-commerce website during their whole shopping journey. And um, I'm currently looking after ML part of the ROP. So we, our teams are developing, researching, and deploying the production level machine learning models to serve the real-time decisioning to, the, to those recommendations, bidding strategies, and upsell opportunities, all those things. There are uh, a bunch of machine learning models to support the whole decision point. And uh, as I mentioned, it's real-time and serving the world-scale uh, e-commerce website. Uh, we are handling billions of transactions every year. Amazing, amazing, and uh, yeah, the the fact that it's it's a service that's embedded um, in websites throughout the world and that it's real time, I think it just puts such a, a focus on uh, on MLOps and productionizing um, the, the the models, making sure that they're available to interact with with the customers. Um, what are your what is the the aim? um for the performance of the models um do you have a, a target that you that you expect the models to perform say um under a set of time or how how reliable how fast yeah. do the models need to be when serving predictions to the customers yeah of course so uh as i mentioned it's uh we, basically we are talking about here is the qps it's like a query per second in technical terms so we will need our our model to be able to serve like at least hundreds of QPS uh, query per second. And every query can contain a list of the prediction requests in the in a single request and a list of candidates. For example, uh, we have a candidate as we want to show to the user, then our model need to, for a single request, then our model need to get the predictions for all those uh, candidates and rank them based on the predictions and show the only top uh, relevant request to the user. And uh, we are talking about this uh, with all the performance latency should be within 100 milliseconds. We are targeting it. Uh, imagine if you are a customer on the e-commerce website and uh, you are you just add an item to your shopping cart, you won't be able to wait for two, and six, two to five seconds to wait your recommendation to be coming up. We want the experience to be as seamless as possible. So our model are targeting that uh, uh, less than 100 milliseconds P90, P95 to uh, show to get the result and show back to the customers. Amazing. That is a fantastic benchmark. And I think also sets the, the context for the for the work that you and your team have done there. Great. Um, so let's let's um, dive in. Maybe maybe you can start by telling us what you see as the the difference between um, data science and MLOps and how they're they're or data science and ML engineering, how they're related, how they're different. Um, maybe maybe let's let's start let's start there. Yeah, of course. Uh, it is a very good question, actually. Uh, so 
I, I'm I'm quite lucky that uh because I kind of like observed the whole like evolving evolution of the data science in industry. So uh, I started with as a data scientist back to that time. There was even no data science course in uni, and a lot of organizations they are trying to like explore the opportunities of using machine learning data science, how they can improve the business models and business process. So back to that, I can see a lot of data scientists, they are doing a lot of things in the notebook and uh, getting some descriptive insights forecasting to help the support the decision making. Mm -hmm. Then big data coming in and the data science, all those things getting more, more and more mature. The use cases are well-defined over time. Uh, people started thinking about the putting all those models into the production. So it's not really like a once-off analysis. It can be continuously to help business to make the decision on day-to-day -day basis. And uh, that's why the ML ops stuff become very popular at the moment. So because uh, when we um, talk about con continuous, it, things can be com complicated. Mm -hmm. So uh, if we think about in a DevOps perspective, it's all about CICD continuous uh, integration, continuous deployment. And so we can uh, uh, fast the uh, time, time to market for our software. It's the same concept for the model as well. So when we de develop model, we need to think about the whole life cycle. Uh, when there's new data coming in, we need to uh, re-engineer re all those data into feature and feed into model and retrain the model and to capture the latest data trends and deploy it into the production. Mm -hmm. But in addition to the uh, DevOps, it's actually, uh, uh, it's also about the, uh, what if the data, incoming data uh, quality changed or there's mm. a drift? And what if the model we deployed into the production and changed? And uh, so all those things uh, are very challenging in addition to the DevOps. I remember there's a very interesting uh, discussions between our test ops team and the uh, machine learning team. So we are trying to make sure we can test everything we can about the machine learning model before we deploy into the production. Because as you say, we are handling a large volume of predictions. We want to make sure that there's no obvious risk, but it's really hard to achieve. What, mm -hmm. what if uh, there's a Black Friday happen, for example, and the data distribution from the online serving data change, and our model is trained based on last three months of data, for example. It haven't seen that. And um, those alerts we cannot really test uh, during the regression test and smoke test, integration mm -hmm. test offline. And uh, we need to capture all those events. And uh, when we identify all those risks coming from online or unknown uh, from the real market dynamics, MLOps become very important into the, this space. So um, we are still in the early days, I would say, um, because you can see uh, a lot of concepts like feature store and the models pipeline stores, they are all very new concepts over uh, started coming up over the last few years. That's because we identified uh, requirements of using those tools to make control the uncertainties that traditional DevOps cannot control in mm -hmm. the MLOps uh, process. Yeah, exactly. There's there's a lot of a lot of um, both new developments in the in the area, uh, as you were saying, learning from from the DevOps world, but also putting it all together into uh, our own ML pipelines, including. Uh, a model, a feature store, a model store, and bringing in the um, 
the the observability across the pipeline and be able to see yeah. how the the whole operation is is working and how yeah. how well and how quickly the the predictions uh, are being delivered so the the product is yeah. being delivered to the customers but also understanding um, how good of a prediction is that how how valuable is it is that changing over time and being able to um, retrain uh, the models in in ways that are tracked and that you can see yeah. uh, what is better than whether we're being better than before. There's um there's a lot yeah there's there's a lot a lot here and and the I love I love your your passion for the um uh, for for the challenge for moving this forward for um for working in a space where where productionization is is so important. Um, what do you see as some some differences in either either in your mindset or in the team um, or in the company, what are some differences mm -hmm. when products are uh, getting, getting the models to production and getting them to run at scale, when that is your number one uh, objective, what do you see that needs to change from what was a, a, um, a data science um, workflow environment that didn't, didn't have that push to productionization, what what changes in terms of mindset or or approach be, between when yeah. you're building a model um, almost almost in isolation uh, between that and getting it pushing to get into production? Yeah, yeah, I think it, that's a very good question and it's uh, very challenging. So um, I think when we talk about ML ops, it's not really, uh, let's say about toolings, it's all about, it's more also about the process. We want to actually best practice process we want to implement in the first, uh, organization. When we talk about introducing a new process, uh, they are always about education piece and uh, for, for the existing team, team members and especially for the ML engineering part, because it's a very new concept. A lot of uh, ML engineers or data scientists, they are coming from the research background yeah. They are super good at modeling and they can optimize the model towards a uh, very high accuracy as things like Kaggle competitions. I've also done a few before. The winning uh, threshold is if you provide a high accurate model, then it, you, you can win the prize. Uh, but there's also a famous case like from Netflix, they, they, didn't, they didn't choose the winning solution for, for productionizing eventually. Uh, in the few years ago. So uh, I think the other education piece for the data scientists in the organization uh, to, to realize that uh, modeling is only a small proportion of the whole uh, ML in production. And uh, if you if you think, think there's a paper released by Google called like hidden uh, technical data from the machine learning system, you will see modeling is only a very small part of the center at the center and there are there are also data quality and the system reliability reporting, all those different components. So which means uh, for data uh, scientists who want to deploy the model into the production, they will also need some basic knowledge in terms of DevOps, mm. sometimes cloud engineering, if your uh, company is built on a cloud solution and how to build a reporting, how to add the monitoring to your system. All those things, I would say it's, uh, we, we, it's a gradual uh, process to educate the team members, to make sure they are realizing the importance of those are as same as the modeling part, and also set up some 
uh, well-defined process for them to uh, adopt over time. Mm -hmm. And um, it's also reflects in the uh, career and uh, job market in the recent years. If you search the uh, ML engineer uh, data scientist, you probably will see the requirements in terms of DevOps and deploy modeling productions more and more in the job ads as well. That's also because company realized the importance of uh, building a model plus the operational ideas can bring the true value to the business. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. That's great. Um, I might I might ask you about different uh, different stages of of MLOps, um, and then mm. and then we. Uh, which is, I guess, different stages of, of, the, of the pipeline. Um, so tell me what you think. The kind of like the, so the stages, um, as I see it, is there's a, a, a stage around training and retraining models. Um, there's, there's a part to deploy and version uh, the models. Then there's a, an audit trail and artifacts to support um, the, the, the serving of the model. And then there's a, a monitoring piece that needs to almost sit, sit across it. And then this is kind of like a big, a big, um, a big loop, really, that where you need to be running on constantly. Um, does that cover the the areas from your perspective? Um, I'll ask you that first. So, uh, just to uh, clarify your questions, you are mainly talking about the uh, ML lifecycle from training. Uh, retrain deployment monitoring, and that should be covered in the ML ops. Uh, yeah, and then I want to ask you more about each of the each of yeah. the stages. Right, right, yes, yes. So, uh, so basically, there will be uh, for for the end to end lifecycle for the ML engineering. We we've been seeing that uh, sourcing the feature from the upstream systems and uh, checking the co uh, data quality and the distributions do the feature transformation and feed into the uh, models for the local training. And then we will do the local validations to make sure the uh, model uh, is performing as expected or uh, above the uh, uh, champion model. And uh, then the model will be de deploying to the productions for the lifetime serving. There can be a canary deployment because we don't really want to uh, serve the new model for 100% uh, traffic initially. That's too risky. Mm -hmm. And uh, start from the 5%, 1% traffic to 20% traffic. Once we know the model is stabilized in the uh, live system, we will uh, promote it to the champion model. Of course, there will be a retrain model cycle, as you mentioned, because market is uh, changing, especially when you um, uh, work in an e-commerce uh, e environment. Uh, the market fashion trends are changing, uh, event-driven uh, things happening every day, holidays happening every day over the world. So you need to make sure your model is capturing all those uh, events and the mo uh, most recent trends happening in the market and reflecting to your predictions uh, in, in a real time. And uh, there's another part of the monitoring which, also, which is also important. So uh, some lessons we've learned is uh, initially when we design the monitoring systems, we are talk, uh, thinking about live online model performance, like a log loss, AUC, mm -hmm. all those model. Uh, actually, very uh, technical terms in terms of model. And uh, but we 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 think it's also important to link all those monitoring to the business metrics as well. Mm -hmm. And because sometimes your model may be performing well, but it can uh, introduce some uh, fairness problems, ethical problems. 
and maybe targeting to a certain group of people. Mm -hmm. uh, although it can bring the overall revenue to your business, but it's not really ideal or fair way to make the recommendations. All those considerations, it's really hard to reflect if you are only looking at overall technical model performance, log loss, all those things, mm -hmm. and how to uh, design a monitoring system, observabilities to integrate those business metrics as well is also important. So um, as I mentioned, uh, it's still in early stage. We are uh, identifying new requirements and uh, things every day. And uh, over time, I think the ML of terms and uh, uh, different components will become more and more mature. That's great. That's great. So I'll, I'll ask you to to expand um, to expand a bit more on on some of the some of the stages that you mentioned. So first, yeah. let's do feature stores. So um, how how is it that um, at the moment that uh, you guys are able to update the feature stores with incoming data? At the at the speed yeah. that you need it to be um, to be done. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a really good question. So uh, I would say we are still in progress, and uh, uh, we've done a few POC around feature stores before. And uh, to me, feature store is a, a value-added component in the whole ML ops process. So. Mm -hmm. um, depends on your business and the stage of your business. You probably don't need one immediately and mm -hmm. you probably will need one. And uh, for our for our case, we've ob observed some challenges from the online offline data consistencies mm -hmm. because uh, we develop our model in Python offline and for online serving, we have really a low latency requirements and the high concurrency requirements. Yeah. So we translate them into Golang or other uh, language. Oh, and nice. in that case, the data transformation step will be different as well. So there will be challenges how you make sure the online offline data consistencies. And that's one of the most valuable uh, features we are looking at from the feature store. Mm -hmm. And also what I uh, also mentioned, feature store can monitor the online mo uh, feature drifting, distribution yep. drifting, and also the incoming data distribution drifting. So because when we talk about the uh, feature transformation steps offline, it's also a data engineering pipeline. Mm -hmm. So how we make sure the incoming data quality is not impact the uh, model retrain and and uh, impact the impact, uh, quality of the model before the deployment is also important. So from my perspective, if you your business is facing all those problems and you don't really have uh, enough people to uh, build an in-house solution to solve all those problems, then a feature store can be adding a lot of value to you. Uh, at the same time, if you are a startup or usually a CTO or tech co-founder will need to be doing everything. So uh, off, off the shelf solution or managed service like uh, uh, SageMaker, Google, uh, Vertex AI can be an option to you. Mm -hmm. So again, it's a value added and uh, also based on your business use case. Yeah, yeah definitely. So it's, it's something that um, where models can be put into production without the necessity of a feature store, but as there's as there increase uh, adoption of MLOps practices in the organization and having more models in production, there'll come the need for a feature store will, will grow greater and greater uh, over time. And, and there's definitely, um, yeah, there will definitely come a time to to bite the bullet and make it make it something that can be yep. uh, consistent, reusable, and bring in some of the um, software engineering practices of, of DevOps into creating this data set for machine learning consumption. So that's 
that's really great. Um, tell me about the um, the new models coming into the mix. So the champion challenger approach, and how is it that the um, the models are compared? Um, and this is, as you mentioned before, this is one of the areas where MLOps is quite different to DevOps uh, in what this testing looks like. And then how do you tell that the um, that the the new challenger is better or worse than the than the champion? Yeah. So uh, basically, we uh, our teams are actually doing the new model experimentations uh, every day. You can see there are a lot of new new version of model with new features coming up every day. And we need to find a like really reliable approach to make sure we we have a better version of models to replace the current champion version of model. And we do that iteratively. So uh, a well-defined ML of process in place can help mm -hmm. team to uh, deliver their model to market much faster. So they don't need the, all the process can be automated. For example, uh, there are components like model registry, there are components like model metadata. Uh, services. So when you deploy a new model to the uh, to the production, uh, your models metadata like the uh, uh, hyperparameters, uh, feature list, transformations that will be registered as well. So you can always reflect back to the models you just developed. And um, so the model registry can also split the traffic to the your new model to one percent of traffic to make sure it's actually serving as expected and continuously monitor the uh, that 1% of traffic in, in live system. And then we uh, also, uh, human need to be in the loop to make the decision if we want to promote to the 5% traffic, 20% of traffic. And then uh, we will have a reliable report to make sure the new model is performing uh, better than the champion model and promote it. So you can see that there will, if we don't really have the uh, model registry and the model mass data in place, there will be a lot of manual work need to be done by the data scientists and ML engineers. And they need to uh, split the traffic manually. They need to uh, uh, record the log, log the uh, metadata manually, and they need to record the model version manually. So uh, that's why just uh, a model registry uh, components and the metadata components to help us to have the visibilities even post the deployment, it's the, the whole journey doesn't stop at the deployment. It's just the start at the deployment. I love that. I love that because obviously the the catchphrase in data science for so many years has been that you know 80, 90 percent of the work is on data wrangling, uh, and then you you make the model. But when you think about it from a productionization perspective, um, the the data wrangling uh, becomes a much smaller part of the of the whole process because the game starts when we hit production, um, when we hit production. So that's that's great. I love that. Um, so you were you were mentioning about how you um, split traffic and test the the model one the the challenger model when um, kind of like live. So in you do that testing in production. Is there is there some some testing before the challenger model gets any production traffic um, that is there a stage gate before that that then you say yes this model is ready to have a one percent of traffic in production or is it not ready yet and does it does it go back um yeah is there a stage before that and then is that creation of the models done by humans or machines yeah um 
Definitely. So uh, basically what we want, we are talking to you to shorten the cycle and fail fast and uh, try fast. And we don't really want to test every model in the production. That's, that's the goal here. So yeah. uh, how our tool can support our machine learning engineer or data scientists to make sure they are more, they are, they have the enough confidence before pushing the model to the production is important. So for example, if, uh, uh, our tools can support if our tools can be scalable and flexible enough for uh, for the machine learning engineer to do the hyperparameter training, to do the local validations, time-based validations, uh, and to get the solid results locally, right before going to the live, that will be ideal. And so they can fail faster, they can stop faster yeah. early and try new model faster. And so uh, that's why in our team, we also do the local validation experimentation before the live experimentation. We collect enough data, we do the hyperparameter training, feature testing, transformations, get the local results first, and then we will decide if we want to move to the next step or not. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And for, um, for existing champion models, do you do any automated retraining? Yes, definitely. So um, depends on different model uh, use, use case. The model will be retrained by, by hourly, uh, four hours, half day, daily. So as I mentioned, there are a bunch of different models in place. And uh, some yeah. models, they have different seasonalities and uh, uh, to, to retrain on different intervals. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've also, interestingly, we've also did some tests to see that if you don't train models after a few hours, if there are any model degradations happening in the online. Mm -hmm. That's actually another interesting part. We want it to have the visibilities in the online system as well. So uh, what, what's the staleness of your model? Have mm -hmm. your model updates, haven't been updated over the last few hours? We have the monitoring and alerting set up over there to make sure we have the most fresh models in the online service as well. And if we see the model degradations in terms of performance in online traffic as well, we have the capabilities to retrain the model uh, immediately. So, um, so I think the key thing here is uh, identify the risks and uh, also the uh, requirements of monitoring observabilities and provide those really visibilities to the ML engineers so they can make the decision, solid inform the decisions based on those data. Yeah, that, that makes that makes sense. So then uh, the yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense because then you're you're capturing the, the metrics, um, all, all that is being done in the uh, or do you see that as being done in the in the model store, then the where we have the model versioning, uh, the registry, the metadata and also the the deployment and monitoring? Is that all part of model store or are they different? Um, yeah, we are currently doing it in a different way. So uh, we mm -hmm. have the model uh, pipeline orchestration services and mm -hmm. uh, we uh, ML engineer can easily de uh, deploy their pipelines on their services and it's highly scalable. And you can do the hyperparameter training, you can do the experiment, local experimentations, you can schedule the new models on that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the metadata will be uh, uh, saved in a separate services for monitoring and the experiment online experimentations later. And uh, uh, yeah, they, they are currently separate services at the moment, but uh, different companies may have different ways. And I, I think uh, some, some business or some teams, they actually uh, 
building the pipeline together with ML flow integrates together. Mm -hmm. So the model yep. registry and the metadata can be controlled by the pipeline service as well. So there are multiple different ways we can achieve that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, that's really good. And what what is your um, your ML pipeline and orchestration uh, tech look like? Yeah, so um, so we we are currently using uh, the Qflow and which is uh, like ML uh, pipeline uh, platform on top of the Kubernetes. And uh, I think Rock probably is one of the first uh, companies in Australia who has productionized it. Mm. And uh, when we make that decision, uh, there are multiple options. So uh, because there are already some uh, so, uh, managed service in, in the market like SageMaker, mm -hmm. and people can use those uh, service directly. And uh, uh, it depends on your team's skill set because our teams, uh, teams are quite actually T-shaped skill set. So they know the uh, cloud engineering quite well before the mm -hmm. Kubeflow and Kubernetes coming in. We've already started deploying the pipeline in the EC2 instance and uh, uh, spin up the cloud formation infrastructure for those pipeline scheduling. So they have the basic knowledge around the cloud engineering and also DevOps, all those things. So it, it will be easier for us to build a, like uh, uh, in-house solutions based on open source tools like Qflow. And uh, there's also a, cons a consideration about if you want to bond it with a single cloud provider, if uh, you see your company have the multi-cloud strategy, so then uh, open source tools can be a more feasible way to make sure your machine learning pipelines deployed and de developed more portable. You can easily migrate that pipelines from this cloud provider to another mm -hmm. cloud provider and make it more shareable and between the team members because the source code are version control. And if you have other team members want to share the same components like training components, feature components, and they can use it directly as well. Yeah. yeah, that's that's really good. That's really good. So this is a good a good segue to the skill sets. Um, so um, maybe maybe I'll well maybe I should ask you first what what type of skill sets um, do you think ML engineers need and to do ML ops? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think uh, in short term, uh, uh, data engineering, cloud engineering, DevOps, uh, those those things are basic knowledge. I think they are uh, actually quite necessary. So mm -hmm. I would say it actually depends. If you, you think it's necessary for you to build an ML teams in the teams, for example, you, you want to build your own feature uh, store, uh, model pipelines uh, in-house, then ML teams uh, will need uh, knowledge in terms of DevOps, cloud engineering, data engineering, of course, machine learning. You uh, you need to understand the uh, uh, machine learning from a life cycle, training, uh, training and testing, feature engineering, all those things. Uh, I know it's very hard to find such people at the moment in the market with such wide uh, skill sets. And it's also been a challenge for us as well. Uh, but uh, I think we are building a team, not like a single developer, superstar developer. So if your teams have those skill sets uh, together and the team can uh, learn from each other, improve from each other, I think that's enough to build an ML team. And by saying that, if you you decide to go with those managed services, uh, I don't think we are quite there at the moment. There are a lot of 
uh, feature store service, model pipeline service out there, you can use them directly. But I found a lot of integration challenge, security challenge you need to deal with internally again. Uh, and I hope in future when those tools are more mature, like in the DevOps space, you probably don't even need an MLOps team. Uh, so your machine learning engineers can be more specialized in the machine learning, probably less knowledge in terms of other side of thing. What they will become become a tool from a tool builder to a tool, tool user in that stage. Yeah, yeah nice, nice. That, that would be that would be great. Um, and and this is the the skill sets as you were describing. It's also quite related to the team structure. So I wanted to get your your views on on the team structure. That some some organizations have a separate data science team from the ML ops team or the ML engineering team. Sometimes they're different. Sometimes they're the same. Sometimes they're grouped with other uh, with other specialties in a in a cross functional team. Um, and and obviously it's horses for courses. But what are, what are what are your views on on team structures in this space? Um, yeah, actually I don't have a definitive answer on that because I've seen successful story for both cases, and I I've seen uh, there are like data science teams uh, building model do researching the model then hand over to the ML engineering team for deployment and the maintenance for the model maintenance. Um, I've also seen the successful story, which is actually working at Rock. Uh, our teams are actually owning the end-to-end -end process from the research deployment to the maintenance to the live monitoring. And uh, it went quite well. So, and uh, there's a culture at Rock is uh, you build it, you own it. If, if something happened in the live system, you need to get up and respond to it. So I think uh, yeah, it's more like from the organization level, I would say, and also your team skill set. If the organization level, you're, uh, you have a culture like this, uh, decentralized, uh, every scrum teams own their own product. And uh, then I will go with the uh, like end-to-end uh, -end approach. And also if your teams are willing to learn those uh, skills from apart from the machine learning and uh, your teams are more T-shaped uh, style, then I will also go with the end-to-end -end approach. But it doesn't mean that uh, uh, if you only have, uh, it doesn't mean that uh, the other approach is not good. It's it's just uh, like uh, a choice to fit your uh, business model and the team team skill set. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and the maturity of where the the team and the company is at at that point in time. Um, so that's that's really good. And in your case, is um is your your team a um. A product team, or uh, as in, like, does it have? Um, is it a cross-functional team from people across the, the organization, or or is it a data science and ML ops, ML engineering team? Yeah, currently we have uh, uh, one team doing doing everything. So, and uh, because uh, we we do have uh, we do observe the requirements of building those tools in house. So we are working heavily with SRE team, for example, to make sure that our Qflow cluster is reliable. We are working heavily with uh, our real-time service teams to make sure our uh, real-time services are re reliable and can be fed into the front-end services. And uh, there's the potential need for us to build uh, like ML ops teams to just build up those in-house feature store and uh, model pipeline tools. Mm. Uh, 
if we are not choose to use the managed service or existing tools external. Yeah. So I would say um, your teams will be looked after end-to-end -end ML, but you still need to work uh, heavily with coordinate with he heavily with other engineering teams as well. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's that's really good. That's really good. Um, what do you see as some of the um, maybe unanswered un un challenges in in the MLOps space? Um, so, what what is something that is either um, too too painful at the moment? Uh, something that you would like for it to be done is e more easily. Um, yeah, what what are some some uh, pain points, I guess, in the in the MLOps space at the moment. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of tool, tools are maturing at the moment in this space, and uh, which is good. But uh, we've seen some challenges that uh, a lot of open source tools or managed service tools they uh, don't don't underestimate your uh, efforts you need to put if you want to use a managed service or open source tools in your team. And we found a lot of customizations or even development will required internally to build up that tools and integrate with your existing system well and to be usable for your ML engineers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that part is very challenging because it, uh, eventually I will expect that those tools can be uh, as good as some existing DevOps tools that can be used by your, set up by your own teams uh, uh, easily. And you don't really need to set up a new team to set up, uh, config, maintain those tools uh, on a daily basis. So I think that's something uh, the whole industry and the whole ML ops uh, like industry are improving and maturing over time, yeah. Yeah, that's that's really good. That's really good. Um, and how do you recommend people to get started in the in the MLOps space? So if if people work at organizations where they've created some models, um, maybe they're uh, running them in a batch way against the database, um, and 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 writing the predictions back to to a database. What what do you see as their journey from from there to uh, real-time serving of uh, of inferences. Yeah, uh, if there are some existing framework out there, for example, uh, uh, the the feature store, and uh, they they re read the product documentation, they have the solutions to real-time online uh, data. Then you will probably get some ideas about the challenges you will you might be facing. For example, if you are moving your best predictions into online services. Feature store documentation will tell you they are solving this uh, problems like online offline consistencies. And you will get an idea why uh, there might be a challenge I might be facing if I move from the best the service to the online online services. And there are a lot of uh, use cases in the industry. And uh, I think uh, Google also released their white paper in terms of the best practice of the uh, ML ops in, on their platform. Azura does and AWS does. So um, I would say just track the uh, latest uh, news uh, from the industry to see because uh, MLOps process is currently very different in different in uh, companies at the moment. Mm -hmm. We are all at very start uh, early stage, especially also in Australia. I've seen people are improving it, learning it, and identifying the risks. You wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't expect I can cover everything. 
while design. So when I design the process or design the system, I expect it will be replaced in uh, one to two years. And when mm -hmm. there's new toolings coming up, when there's new business challenges or business requirements coming up. So yeah, just to keep a close eye on the a successful story and uh, uh, be prepared to react to all those challenges you might be facing and unique to you. Yeah, really nice, really nice. Um, tell me, tell me a bit more about Kubeflow. Um, about um, and then maybe introduce it for people that might that might not know it. Um, tell us a bit more about it, and then also uh, how you ended up uh, choosing it. And maybe we'll start with that. And then yeah. I'll ask you more about the journey. Yeah. So Kubeflow is a uh, uh, interesting one. So I actually uh, started using Kubeflow. Uh, around two years ago when it was still like in 0.6 version mm -hmm. and uh, and it was a pretty not mature tool back to that time and uh, then uh, in the latest time a uh, year they it released 1.3 1.4 it's become more and more mature and uh, that also reached a stage that we think we can start using it mm -hmm. and the good thing is it's providing, it's actually built on the top of the communities, which is, uh, can support your machine learning uh, models to be highly scalable and uh, reliable. If your job is failed in one component, you can quickly spin up another pod and then retry the components to it. So it provides a lot of benefits. But as a tool, I think uh, you will need to do a lot of customizations on it. And uh, it's still not mature enough. and uh, there will be a lot of work you need to plan, efforts you need to plan, and uh, work, work between your teams and the SIE team to make it reliable enough. So, um, but the main decision we are making is it's an open source tool. There are mm -hmm. not many open source tools out there to help you do the uh, pipeline orchestrations. And uh, some, I know some companies are using Airflow and uh, uh, we are using Kubeflow, but there are not many more options you can choose. If, uh, if you choose to not uh, highly bundle with one cloud provider. So that's the main reason behind that. And now uh, we are confident about our teams can actually uh, learn the communities, uh, do the work on the communities. So yeah, that's why we choose Kubeflow. You yeah, really nice, really nice. You mentioned Airflow. I thought Airflow was for uh, a data orchestration. Um, so it's, it's um, moved into the ML orchestration as well. Yeah, I know some in some companies they are using Airflow to trigger the temp, uh, uh, spin up the instance for the model training as well. Mm -hmm. I would, I totally agree. It's a lightweighted compared to the uh, like Kubeflow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's that's really nice. Good. And what um what what do you see as the the evolution of of the industry as we've gone in this in this journey from um from data science and building the models to now getting into production, getting into um, used by by business. Um, we, we're kind of like early stages in, in this part of the, uh, in this stage in the journey. What what do you see as coming up in the evolution of the industry and, and where we're going? Um, I would expect that there are more and more end-to-end -end solutions, ML ops solutions coming up and uh, in the next few years. And uh, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of for the uh, independent services like feature store 
and the pipeline monitoring are coming up as well. And a lot of those companies are getting fundings and it raised a lot of interest to in different uh, companies to use those uh, solutions. But I personally will expect if there's a unified uh, solutions in future and uh, to cover the end-to-end. -end. So rather than focusing on one stage of the machine learning life cycle. And uh, in that case, uh, as a team, we don't really need to spend extra efforts to build those in-house tools by ourselves. We can implement it. It sh should be uh, make make ML engineers life much easier to just leverage those to, to do their extra work in machine learning modeling and the deployments rather than uh, focus on those off uh, level works. Yeah, really nice. Um, we just had a, a comment from from Nako, which I think yep. I can put on the screen. Yeah, where he was saying that yep. really, really good thinking about um, refreshing the technology in, in, and the approaches in one, one to two years. Uh, that some some organizations find it difficult to do, and sometimes they stick with with tools uh, for a long, long time. Um, do you have any advice for organizations that are looking to break the habit and jump into into the newer space? Yeah. So uh, I think uh, I've also observed such uh, situations, especially for those large organizations. Uh, they may design a system like uh, years ago and uh, many decades ago, actually, the documentation mm -hmm. may not be uh, fully maintained or even the initial developer have left the positions. So in those cases, the migration is really hard. So I think uh, the, for at least uh, for new new assistants, we have the uh, ideas of design in uh, iterative ways. We don't expect it to design a perfect solution we don't follow the what's for approach initially. So we expect that we will iteratively improve the assistance and make it flexible. And this, this reflects in the uh, like, uh, service architecture, like uh, uh, microservices, and uh, they are self-contained, fully adoptable, and uh, testable, and migratable. So it's also, uh, yeah, I would say it depends on how, uh, what's the architecture approach in your organization to achieve those engineering problems. And uh, it's become more and more popular in recent years in different organizations to make sure they are uh, system design in a, like, uh, adaptive way, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, really nice. And man, why, what keeps you passionate about this space? Like what, what drives you and has it changed in terms of what drove you into the space when, when data science was just coming up as a term and um, you know, you were ferociously uh, doing online courses and and, um, and and working to to become the best data scientist that you could. Has it has it changed? Has your passion or your motivations changed between the start of the journey and where you are now? Uh, yeah. So I my background initially was in BI and uh, uh, data warehousing. So. I found using those data to support the decision making to improve business model uh, process really excites me. And then I move into the predictive uh, part. So I think predict predictive modeling uh, uh, to support decision making is also very exciting to me. So, and that's how I move into the machine learning and uh, uh, statistical modeling space. And then, um, then while uh, during that journey, I found uh, it's 
uh, super excites me to land all those prediction models into the real business use to provide a continuous value to the business and optimize the business process over time. And uh, then ML Ops, how to productionize coming into my site. So I think uh, it's also a learning journey for me. Start from a small thing to more and more bigger and bigger things to me. And eventually I found what motivates me is to actually land those disruptive and AI-based solutions in real world and to see how they can make a difference to the business or even to the life, to the people. That's why I also co-founded a few startups during my spare time to build the AI-based solutions to change the existing behavior or provide more values to the people. Amazing. And um, are you, are you, uh, or what, what applications of AI are you particularly excited about? Anything that, that uh, you would like to either see uh, come into reality or things that are uh, happening that you that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, uh, I, I personally uh, quite uh, excited about the uh, object detect detections and uh, also the uh, also voice uh, NLP side. So those unstructured data that cannot be handled easily by human and which can be processed by, by AI provide innovative solutions. That's actually very excites me. So, mm -hmm. uh, for example, uh, the chatbot, the uh, uh, the visual search, all those things just open a new way to the people to how to do their current uh, uh, thing, they, daily things. For example, uh, if uh, uh, people, every people is doing like a Google uh, by using text at the moment. What if we search it by the image by what you've seen? and it's give you much better results or provide the context uh, that the text cannot be providing. Or what if you search by the voice, by the sounds uh, that uh, the text cannot be providing. All those new dimensions that we can open for people to change their lifestyle or change their ways to make their life easier, that actually uh, very excites me and motivate me to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, there's there's been um yeah obviously amazing progress in that space where um some of the research recent projects coming more out of the the research stage or prototype stage is um some of the ones that I've seen is people being able to um, describe a web page that they that they want and have an AI build the web page um, and then doing kind of like that um, you know. Uh, natural language to code to then rendering it, and it's it's really um, really exciting. We've got a, a comment uh, from Sandia, which I might put up on the screen. Great. So she says, I think there's an apprehension in investing and trying MLOps in many companies starting out their ML journey as the tech landscape in this space is changing rapidly, and one might have to change or replace tech. I agree. There's definitely like a perceived sense that there's there's the, a, a high barrier and that's the, a lot of complexity and a lot of new tech to to acquire, uh, enable, and then leverage in order to get to to this point. Um, what what do you think about this this apprehension uh, in investing and trying MLOps from companies, Ivan? Yeah. Um, yeah. That that's what I've observed as well. So. Uh, that's happening a lot after we identify the use case uh, and the uh, values that ML can uh, provide to the business. 
So I think we we uh, passed the uh, stage of the uh, data science and the ML hives, and we've got a very solid use case that ML can help our uh, the business how to improve their process and values. And that's why ML ops uh, companies are willing to invest in the ML ops to add that in a, in a BAU process into into their business. And yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's an area that um, that obviously is getting a lot of investment. Um, it, it needs to become easier uh, for for the world to be able to leverage AI um, better and, and and more of it uh, because we've had. Uh, for, at least from my perspective, we've had so many models historically being created, like and, and often good models that sometimes don't get to see the light of day or don't get to interact with customers in a real life setting um, at scale and and with um, in very near real time. And that's that's the that's the the part that uh, you know today it takes a lot of tech effort to get there, and it needs to become easier for for more of us to be leveraging ML and AI in more parts of our lives. So that's um, that's a really exciting journey I think uh, we're on at the moment. Awesome, awesome. Uh, mate, thank you so much for for coming on the show, for sharing your all your knowledge and perspectives. Um, the, the work that, that you're doing is uh, amazing, as always, as always. Like the, um, yeah, as, as, and as I mentioned, um, at the beginning, I've I've known Ivan for for a number of years, and um, I'm always impressed at the at the work that he's doing. And he's always I feel like he's always um, you know trailblazing and and definitely um, ahead of the curve. So I was very excited to get you on the show, mate, and um, and to get you to share your your journey and perspectives with everyone. Um, also excited that you're coming back for the MLOps event uh, on November seventeenth. Uh, so Ivan's going to be in one of the panels there. Um, so check the website for more details. November 10th, we have the AI ethics uh, event. Um, and the, uh, on November 17th, we have the MLOps event, which will be from mid-morning to mid-afternoon. So that'll be really, really great. I want to thank everyone who joined us live today, everyone who's watching the replay at home. I'm getting some thank you messages. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone who, who joined. And Ivan, thanks again. Hope to see everyone in the next session. See you all next time. Okay, everyone. See you. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.